Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working side-by-side side with leading scientists to better understand how complex data can be converted into innovative treatments. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anish Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about hematologic disorders during pregnancy with Dr. Kelsey Martin. Dr. Martin is an assistant professor of clinical medicine in medical oncology and of hematology at the Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Gore is a professor of internal medicine and hematology at Yale and director of hematologic malignancies at Smilo Cancer Hospital. So you're pretty new to Yale, right? You've moved here, what, about a year ago or less? No, less. I moved here uh, within the last few months. I was living in New York City for a few years. I grew up in Connecticut, though, so this is my home. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice to be back. Back to the nutmeg state. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and were you practicing... Um, Similarly, in New York, well, what was your job like there? Yeah, so I took care of patients with uh, both blood disorders and cancer. I saw patients at uh, in a private practice, but I was saw patients at Lenox Hill Hospital and Mount Sinai Hospital. Gotcha. And is your practice now um, limited mostly to blood malignancies, or are you still seeing a variety? I'm still seeing a variety of cases. Uh, I certainly... Um, uh, have maybe more of a passion for hematology, but I see I see patients with with all kinds of cancers as well. A physician after my own heart. <laughs> so, how did you become interested in um, in cancer during pregnancy? Yeah, so I, I I enjoy taking care of pregnant women. I think just I think it's it's a nice change of pace to take care of younger patients, and I think it's sort of this interesting situation where many times pregnant women uh, have been otherwise healthy, and it's goes from a, what is a very often positive experience, and then the tempo can change and can certainly be very scary if there's a diagnosis of cancer during pregnancy. And I like to be part of that. It's, kind of a, it's actually a real privilege to help take care of patients during that process. It's got to be a real crisis for the patient, right? Here they are in this, like, you know, kind of blissful pregnant state, you know, oftentimes, and not to have cancer, I mean, oof. Yeah, I think it's uh, quite scary. You know, you go from... Exactly. This blissful, you know, happy moment. And then all of a sudden the things change. You're, you're now faced with a situation where you're not simply taking care of just one person, but in a way two, um, mm-hmm. which is which is unique. And how common is this? Um, thankfully, it's not common. Yeah. You know, it's rare. Um, you know, I think the incidence is somewhere around less le- less than 0.05 percent, you know, but, uh, but I think there's certain cancers that are prevalent during that uh, age group, you know, so they still come to play even when someone's pregnant. So you mean the cancers that this age group might get anyway, and they just happen Ex- to be pregnant exactly. at the time? Uh-huh. Exactly. What would some of those cancers be? Yeah, so things like Hodgkin lymphoma, non-Hodgkin lymphoma are probably the most common. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, women can do really quite well despite, you know, being pregnant. We're able to get them through this that hard time. Um, we do see some things like leukemias or myeloproliferative diseases. Those are probably the second of the blood, you know, in terms of blood cancers. We do hear sometimes about women getting breast cancer when sure. they're pregnant. Sure. Yep. And breast cancer as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd say in that in those age groups, those would be the common things. Yeah. So a lot of those, most of those disorders, anyway, that you've mentioned tend to be treated with curative intent and are often cured. But is there a special challenge to giving the curative therapy during pregnancy? Yeah, certainly. I think the, you know, the initial challenge is, is a, 
you know, making the diagnosis. You know, there's certain radiology tests that just can't be done the same way when someone's pregnant. Um, you know, but thankfully, many things can be done. Ultrasounds, MRIs, biopsies can be done. So, I, you know, ultimately, the diagnosis can still be made. Um, and then the second part, that's the second challenge is, of course, treating the patient. The timing and safety of things like chemotherapy during pregnancy uh, is somewhat dictated, you know, by the trimester that, you know, whether someone comes to play in the first trimester versus the third trimester that all fits into how how and when we can treat somebody safely. Hmm. So uh, can you walk us through that? What does it look like at different yeah. parts of pregnancy? Yeah. So I think, you know, during the first trimester, there's certain uh, inherent risks to the fetus, and which is not an optimal timing often. Um, but as we get into the second and trimesters, we actually can, you know, there's actually quite good evidence that we can safely proceed with treating many patients with chemotherapy the same way we would whether when they're not pregnant um, and have really positive outcomes. And there's actually, um, you know, in Hodgkin lymphoma, there's, there's, it's been looked at and, you know, women live just as long and do just as well, which is really encouraging to see. And how do the babies do? Um, also, fantastic. You know, we, I think the key is also, though, having a really good team. You know, it's never one doctor on their own and having a fantastic obstetrician, neonatologist, uh, psychologist, uh, pharmacist, everybody on the same page, I think, helps these patients do well. Mm -hmm. And so in that first trimester when all the organs of the fetus are forming and stuff, uh, do you not give chemotherapy? Do you delay chemotherapy? Well, how do you manage that? It depends on the urgency of the situation. I think, you know, if something's life-threatening to the mom, you know, an urgent, I think, then that conversation has to be had. I think if there's room to wait, you know, until it's safer for the fetus, then that can be done. I think it depends a little bit on the uh, the urgency and, you know, the mother's health. Mm -hmm. Do patients ever elect to terminate the pregnancy uh, in order to get the chemotherapy safely? Yeah, I think that's, you know, certainly a personal decision that I think that if that's felt to be what's best for the mother and where her mindset is at that you know, unfortunately, sometimes yeah. is is what can take place, but that obviously is uh, gut wrenching and emotional and, and hard. Too, right. <laughs> you know, so right. So sure. I don't say that flippantly. I think no. it just depends on the context. No, I mean, and I've I've personally cared for patients with leukemia uh, early in pregnancy, and um, you know, I've had patients elect to try to maintain the pregnancy, and sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, sometimes the pregnancy terminates itself if it's an right. early pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I've also had the experience of having people do very well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely never – it's never going to be the um, one story that's the same for each patient, you know, and I think it's uh, – these conversations are complicated and complex and um, – you know, how the patient's, where the patient's mindset is, of mm -hmm. course, fits into how, what we end up doing. What about the patient who uh, is diagnosed like at 32 weeks or something like that? Um, is delivery ever accelerated or early or not really? I, I think we can still give chemotherapy, you know, at that time point. But I think that's also a discussion, I think, with the obstetricians, the sort of if where they feel the benefit is and the risk then to the fetus. So I think, again, it's it's a team conversation. So it might be better to uh, have the baby cooking inside despite the chemotherapy in the blood? Yeah, I think ex exactly, which sounds, I think, may sound scary, but can definitely be done. Mm -hmm. How good is the placenta at keeping chemotherapy away from the baby? Do we know anything about that? I think certain drugs... Uh, 
you know, are known to go through the placenta more than others. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, certain drugs get certain ratings in pregnancy that of their safety. And there's certainly ones that we know we really need to be avoided and and other ones that have been, uh, you know, evaluated with higher confidence in safety by looking at patients who have done well. Mm -hmm. Do you find that pregnant patients have a different approach or greater anxiety about the chemotherapy compared to your other young patients who are not pregnant? I mean, how is it? Is it different? Yeah, it's definitely different. I think young patients in general, it's always going to be anxiety-provoking and and extremely stressful. Um, I think that being pregnant, there's no way it doesn't add another layer of stress. Um, You know, I think so I, I think the short answer is yes, but I think not to minimize the the the, the stress of cancer on a young person in, in general as well. Do you feel like your um, person as a younger f- female physician and actually a mom, does that, do you think that makes you particularly empathic in a different way than I can be? Obviously, it's kind of a silly question, but I mean, no, but I, I think, think it's, it's a real, silly question. right? I think I mean, it is you've real. You've had experiences yeah. that, I, I mean, I've been a dad and I, yeah. you know. No, no I, I don't think it's a silly question. I think, uh, yes, I think that it, it, I think I can understand the complexities, especially when it comes to things like, you know, as you mentioned, that even the notion of terminating a pregnancy is so, I mean, that that is so hard for, for a million reasons. And I think being a mom allows me to think about that in a, in different, a, in way. a different way than if I, if I wasn't. Uh-huh. Um, and I think even just the concept of for, you know, let's say a, a patient already she already has some children, this is not her first pregnancy, and how does that impact, you know, her relationship with her other children, I think, is something that without being a mom, I wouldn't probably have a great understanding of. So, um, so yes, I think, (laughs) I think that um, it, it certainly, I think, allows me to have different relationship with these patients. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I think of myself as a pretty empathetic guy as a physician, but, you know, it's, it's different. Yeah, these conversations are hard. I think, and there's in some situations maybe not one right answer at the same time, um, and there's a lot of emotion that comes into play. And uh, I think it just um, is 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 incredibly stressful for the patients. And uh, anything that that I feel that I can offer and bring to the table, just as a human and as a person, I think is is um, is wonderful if I can help them in that way. Do you think it's harder for you to? manage your own boundaries emotionally with these kinds of patients than it would be for other patients with cancer? Probably. You know, I think whether 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 that's, that's subconscious, no, yeah, right. whether, whether so that's hard. Right? I, absolutely. I, I think it's impossible to not uh, to not think of your own family and your own situation when you're come face to face with patients like this. I think it would be odd if you were able to, if I was able to completely separate the two. I think that would be almost strange. So, um, so yeah, and I think it's sometimes we have to step back from our doctor-patient role and, and just try to talk to our patients as people, you know, contemporaries. So you don't try to hide your emotions in that way? I don't. I, I don't. That, that's not really my personality. I think sometimes we do have to sort of 
we have to eventually come to the decision of how we're going to take care of this person. And I think for 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 both of our sakes, that both the doctor and the patient, I, you have to kind of do a little of both. Mm. You know, you have to be able to guide them into what you think is the right medical medical decision. Because if you only are coming at it with your heart, I think that may not be ultimately what's what's best for the patient. Um, so I think it's a balancing act. No, I'm the same. And, and I have to say that I've been in situations, not necessarily with pregnant patients, but sometimes, but with younger female patients who have a male partner um, and you know, maybe people of a certain more landed couplehood, let's say, uh, where where the partner, the male partner, or female partner, I suppose, but again, I can relate to the male partner in a different way. You know, he has his own drama going on, and particularly in our society, where there still are expectations of a man being somehow so, as differently supportive or strong and all this toxic masculinity stuff that that unfortunately I mean you know it's you know I think it's true for any partner probably with a whose spouse uh, or significant other is sick um, you know they deserve uh, support as well and uh, you know I've I found that I relate pretty openly uh, as a husband um, as well as a physician yeah no I think that's a really a really interesting point because it's also really it's not there's often in these situations particularly it's not just about that patient, right? But her her partner, whatever, whoever that may be, you know, her family, parents, parents. This is, you know, pregnancy is is often, um, you know, more than one person involved in that story. Big so, ecosystem, yeah. Yeah, so that's a good point. All right, well, Kelsey, uh, we have to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about uh, blood disorders in pregnancy with Dr. Kelsey Martin. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, a science-led biopharmaceutical company dedicated to partnering across the oncology community to improve outcomes across various stages of cancer. More at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about melanoma. While melanoma accounts for only about 4% of skin cancer cases, it causes the most skin cancer deaths. When detected early, however, melanoma is easily treated and highly curable. Clinical trials are currently underway to test innovative new treatments for melanoma. The goal of the Specialized Programs of Research Excellence in Skin Cancer, or SPORE grant, is to better understand the biology of skin cancer with a focus on discovering targets that will lead to improved diagnosis and treatment. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Kelsey Martin. We've been discussing hematologic disorders, especially cancer, during pregnancy. Um, Kelsey, I, you know, I think we had really important discussion before the break, and uh, we were just touching on kind of the big ecosystem that is a family of the pregnant woman. And, you know, I'm uh, knock on wood about to be a first-time grandfather, assuming all goes well. And, you know, I have thought over the years, again, when I've taken care of younger patients, and it's changed for me as I've gotten older, different stages, about what it's like to have uh, an adult child who's sick. Uh, Do you find the parents 
you know, are heavily invested oftentimes. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I think it's um, the idea of taking care of your children, I'm sure, is never having personally gone through that, I think, is probably uh, beyond terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's really complicated. It's like it's uh, all the reasons I didn't go into pediatrics, right? <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. No, parents are... Um, Parents are key to the equation, and I think the strum of the strongest advocates for for uh, for our patients of making sure things uh, get taken care of the right way. And I think patients who are lucky enough to have their parents involved in their care, I think, is you know, it's wonderful. <laughs> Do you ever find situations where the boundaries between the parents and the patient are maybe not working in favor of the patient, or not, or contrary to what the patient wishes? Yeah, I think. So sometimes, I think particularly maybe when you have patients who are in their um, maybe 20s, low 20s, where it's sort of that... Um, Transition to tran- adulthood. Exactly. I think that's really challenging because there sometimes is a little bit of the, you know, mom, dad, let me talk, you know, and, and but the parents are only trying to do their best and, and weigh in. And, and also just in terms of patient confidentiality, I think sometimes... Some some patients don't want their their parents kind of maybe as involved of knowing details, but but at the same time, um, I think most pa- parents are just have their best interest, and so but it, it can be I think can be a little bit challenging because the patient's always the first priority. Yeah, what about uh, partner dropout or partner fatigue? Do you ever run into that about the the partner who can't deal with the pregnant sick sick pregnant oh spouse? I. Th- I'm not sure. To be honest, I'm not sure I've run into it as as frequently, but I can imagine that I can imagine that scenario. And I think it's 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 also a burden on the the partner going through this process and very hard for them. And I think also particularly as well, maybe there's more children at home, maybe, you know, and I think what that means uh, who's the caregiver and who's, you know, divvying up tasks and family responsibilities. I think when you, then when you have a the pregnant, um, you know, mother to be who's not doing well, I think that's in- inherently complex. And uh, I, but I think l- luckily I'm not sure I've run into that scenario so many times. Yeah, I'm not sure I have either, although I certainly have had partners check out because of cancer. I'm not sure I've seen it during pregnancy. It's really it's always obviously like super disappointing. Absolutely. Yep. I think uh, it's the psychological stresses on partners and caregivers, I think, is tremendous and probably right, not shouldn't to be, be underestimated. You know, right? should, yeah, is, is, you know, and they need just as much support. Uh, and I think, you know, t- to go through that, to have a pregnant partner who's sick, I, 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 I think they, they do need that equal attention, you know, and, and, ha- and it's probably important for us to step back and recognize that. Mm-hmm. And how do you deal with that? Do you, uh, um, if you pick up that maybe the partner is not doing well, are there social workers who can help or what, what, what's available? Yeah, we have amazing social worker support and their knowledge of the resources that are out there is tr- tremendous. And I feel very lucky that we have such a strong uh, social workers, case managers, nursing staff, 
uh, to help us, you know, not only for us to recognize it and then to help, because uh, sometimes as a physician, I find that that can be overwhelming. You kind of see somebody struggling, but how are you going to help that person as well? And, you don't have that much time. Exactly. Exactly. So we, I think we have tremendous social worker support to help with that. Yeah. So it's really a team approach. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And what about the postpartum period, assuming they've gotten through their pregnancy, they've got this wonderful baby they're so excited about, so relieved, and yet they're maybe still facing four months of chemotherapy. I assume they can't yeah. nurse. Right. So that's really challenging. Yeah. I, I think and I think I think we're doing a better job as a society of just recognizing some postpartum challenges anyway, right? Postpartum It's not always fun. Exactly. It's a very, very hard time, I think. Um the realities of postpartum depression and uh postpartum stress are very real. And I think putting that into the equation is is a is a is another added layer of complexity for, for sure um, but I, th- I think we I think we are doing a better job as a society and as a medical society of of bringing to light that it's okay you know to 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 step in and, and probably also I think um, you know the help of the obstetricians, seeing patients more frequently in the postpartum period and, and recognizing this, I think will also it will also help. So again, it comes back to that team-based approach and, and making patients feel comfortable. I guess then there's a pediatrician involved as well at that yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So I think, I think, and you know, when you're part of a larger center, I think it's nice to have um, access to, to that. Yeah. What about non-malignant disorders of the blood in the pregnant woman. Do you deal with that at all? People who have clotting problems or sickle cell patients or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. That's um it's actually not that uncommon. So things probably the most common things we see are so blood clotting problems is definitely up there. You know, the risk of blood clots increases uh, in pregnancy and um that's something that we see very frequently actually. Um which again when it comes down to the time of um, labor and delivery is a really can be complicating balancing act. You know, many of these women, these women often, nearly always, are going on blood thinning medications, and how we balance that is tricky. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's in the media a lot more. People like Serena Williams, I think she had a blood clot before her pregnancy, and then had a blood clot during her most recent pregnancy. So it's, it's definitely, I think, gotten public attention as as a as a recognized problem. But thankfully, also something that that's. It's you know readily treatable as when it's brought to attention. I see a lot of TV commercials for patients with AFib and what kind of uh, <laughs> anticoagulation uh, they're getting. Obviously, these are these tend to be older patients in the commercials yeah. or older actors. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. These these during pregnancy, it's often a, a, a you know injection. Um, Blood thinners, not not the ones that are seen on those TV, <laughs> not those ones in commercials. Because you really need to be able to turn it off and on. Yeah, ex- oh, very much so. Yeah, it's a very well orchestrated, coordinated um, process by the time of delivery. But one, I think that uh, obstetricians and anesthesiologists right? are very good at it. Yep. So yeah. I think I think it's it's something that's um, stressful for patients, but but thankfully something that we're able to get patients through. Right. Well, you also have an interest in older patients with cancer. Is that right? With geriatrics? I do. I find you like this. this. You like the bookends. Both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I do. I think, you know, it's no secret that the world's population is getting older. And with why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> with that, the, the, Bird, cancer burden, you know, is going to inevitably increase. And I think 
as an oncologist, you we ha- we are it's unavoidable to, to, to be taking care of older persons with cancer. And I think it really deserves special attention because it's just simply not, not the same. You know, there's um, um, multiple aspects that come into play, you know, in terms of some of its social aspects. How is the patient going to get to that appointment? Can they even drive there? Who's taking them? They're on a lot of medications. Um, you know, what's their prognosis? I think it's a really multidisciplinary field as well that we're learning more and I think hopefully um, giving more attention to. Yeah, I I know in most of my training, which was a while ago, you know, focused on is this a curable cancer or not? And if it's a curable cancer, you're going to go all out and go for broke. But, you know, that's a little more complicated than somebody who's older and has other problems like heart disease or diabetes or the social situations about transport, as you've pointed out, and, and home support. Yeah, and I think it's I think we're also recognizing that it goes beyond just that age because there are, you know, not every person who's in their 80s is has the same is the same and you know what we call their functional status I think is really important and but how we how we integrate this in taking care of patients with cancer I think is we're learning more and and it's evolving but I think it's really it's really interesting uh, to take care of patients like this mm-hmm. and what about the uh, inverse of what we talked about parents uh, with the young patients uh, in terms of adult children of the older patients are they often involved and how does that play out yeah I think again I think it's a really um, I think often are involved, not always. I think right patients, um, families are not always geographically in the same place. Sure. Um, and there's some people a... move to New York from Connecticut. Exactly. I hear. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes it's you know communicating with uh, older patients' children, you know, on the phone, and they can't be there because they also have their own separate lives, understandably, but they want to be involved, and that's I think that's a hard place to be as well. How do we incorporate them? Um, but yeah, I think it's um, that again. I think that the the children of those patients, you know, are their strongest advocates, and I think the patients that have that are, are very fortunate to 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 have to have them helping them. Um, I think it's really quite hard on them because I think again, ultimately, I think most children at that point have their own their own their own children, and and how they have the time takes a lot of time out of their own jobs um, and their lives to come to appointments and help make these decisions, I think is um, really challenging. Yeah. I sometimes see, uh, particularly in my hospital work, I sometimes see practitioners very frustrated or speaking in a frustrated manner about the adult children who can't show up or don't show up or won't take the patient home to them, to their house. And I think people, it's very easy to become judgmental. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, uh, immune to that either uh, without really knowing the depth of the relationship and what the issues are and what the realities of life at home for those people are. We kind of, many of us, I think, at least in my experience, kind of project our own assumptions, which is never really fair. Yeah, no, it's, I think you're, it's a really good point. And I think it's, it's, it's easy to say, okay, well, the patient has children, so why aren't they, you know, why aren't they taking on this um, situation? And every family is unique, and people have their own financial, emotional family situations where they may just not be able to, to, 
to do that. And that's, I think it's, you know, that's okay. <laughs> I think right. we, we have to recognize that. I think we have to recognize that as, as well. Um, and, and probably also reframe our thinking and, you know, how we can, how can, how can we get them involved, even if they can't, maybe they can't physically be there for one reason or another. I, th- I think we have to understand that, that that's, that's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I agree with, I agree with you. I think that's um, something we physicians, it's probably not one of our strong points. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, true. <laughs> yeah, there's a strong streak of judgmentalism yeah. in our profession yeah. about a lot of things. It's true. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I think we're getting better, but yeah. you know, no, we have right. to call ourselves out. And do you find that usually the family units are uh, parallel in their alignment about the disease and the goals of care? Do you ever find that there's disconnect between what the patient yeah. May want or not want versus the children. Or the I spouse. think it's yeah. I think the, I think the I, for me at least in my experience, I think it's more common that there is disconnect. I think it is unusual that every family member agrees, but that's families in general. I think on <laughs> any number of topics, but I think it's unusual, and I think I think it's also you know raises. I th- I think it also brings to light that it's and I, and I don't think it's commonly done because it's hard and uncomfortable, but I think the more that families can talk about what it might mean for somebody in the family to get sick before somebody gets sick, you know, might might bring to light you know what someone's real wishes and things are. You know, again, nobody really wants to have that conversation at the dinner no. table, but but it's it's always hard when when we're trying to to think, well, what would this person want? And, and you have different different family members thinking different things where maybe if we had just, you know, come together before someone got sick and spoke about it. But I, I think the reality is those are painful conversations and I know why they don't happen. But uh, no, I think it's, I think we're, I, but I think we're used to multiple opinions from family members. And I think, um, you know, Good, good conversations and good communications between doctors and families helps m- make that process sometimes easier, but it, it can be really, really challenging. Dr. Kelsey Martin is an assistant professor of clinical medicine in medical oncology and of hematology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.